today's devotional looks at the story of Zilofarad's daughters, and that's found in Numbers 27, and then also in Numbers 36, and further on into the book of Joshua, we can trace their story. And this is a fascinating piece. It's a really interesting moment in the story of uh, the nation of Israel. It comes just as a census has been made of the people of Israel at the end of the 40 years of wandering around in the desert. So there's something here of a fresh start for the people of Israel. God's judgment over the 40 years has come to an end. There's a census that has been made. And there's a sense here in this moment in the text that God is doing something new. There's a sense of hope. There's a sense of change. And the census has been made. The land is about to be allotted to the various tribes and clans. And then five women appear before Moses, the daughters of Zelophadad. And they're here because their father has died and they have no brothers. And they're about to lose their inheritance. Their father's household is about to lose the inheritance that would have been his had he still been alive. And they ask Moses to give them a share of the land. Um, and it's a beautiful moment that Moses hears and he goes straight to God and asks of the Lord what he should do. And even more wonderfully, the Lord says that the daughters are correct and that Moses should indeed give them a share of the land. And what happens is there's a change of law. What has gone from one particular family's moment of need extends to changing something of the law for the whole of the people of Israel. And yes, initially there are caveats. If when they die, the land goes back to their uncles, they have to marry within their clan. But eventually, these caveats are taken away. And this is a first step towards uh, the law changing so that women can inherit and own land themselves. And we, if we keep tracking the movement of liberation for women through scripture, we see Jesus including women, uh, respecting women, involving women in his ministry, in his in his journey um, in the most beautiful way. So just to reflect on the story of Zilofadad's daughters, I think there are potentially a few things just in this short time that would be helpful to think about. The first thing being that we know quite a lot about the daughters, given that for many of the women in the Bible, we know very little about them, even very significant women, we know very little about them. But these women, we know all five of their names. And interestingly, in different parts of the, where the story is repeated or where the women are referenced, their names switch order, which makes us think, well, even in that moment, they're, they're challenging notions of hierarchy to do with age or status or um, ability, um, their names being muddled about just gives us a sense that these women uh, come together, they come as a collective, and they are presenting as equal participants in this fight for justice. We know their names, they are given names. They're not so-and-so's wife, yes, they are Zilofadad's daughters, but we straight away know their names. We also know something of their story. We know the story of their father. We're given an insight into this family and Furthermore, we hear their actual words and we just take a moment to recognise that in this story, women are given a voice. I think it's fair to say that women have struggled for as long as the earth has turned since the fall uh, to have their voices heard. And 
there's research out there showing that the, the percentages of men interrupting women are something like 33% more likely for men to interrupt women than men to interrupt men. Women are trained to be quiet. Women are trained to listen and men are trained often to be listened to. And that is just what the research is throwing out there. And I think it's really interesting that in this passage, women speak and are listened to, not just by Moses, but by God. They're not interrupted. They're allowed to speak. They're allowed to bring their case. They're listened to. I wonder how we silence women. I think we do it a lot. I think our culture is trained to silence women. I think we often silence particular types of women as well. I think we silence single women. I think we silence often women in Christian service. I think we silence women during the menopause. We sometimes silence women in their mothering years staying at home. I'm sure there are other uh, seasons of life or capacities in which women are silenced. Unfortunately, as these women found out, unless they are the right type of woman in the right type of context, they're at a loss. But actually, the church gives us a different model. We track through to the New Testament and Paul writes vigorously about equality for men and women, about the nature of our relationships being self-sacrificial love for each other. And I would just wonder whether there's something in this passage about encouraging us to listen, listen to each other, yes, but in particular, listening to women and women who are most often silenced, not just in the world out there, but actually in our congregation, in our family, in our small groups, in our teams. And just because women are at the table or are in roles of leadership even, does not necessarily mean that they have a voice. So here's one challenge for us. How do we listen to women? How do we stop talking long enough to let women be heard? Because it's not just men that listen or women that listen to each other, but it's God that listens too. And God says, yes, you're right. I wonder what God might want to be listening to. I wonder what voices might need to be heard. Who knows what God might want to say? Actually, this voice is right and it will change so much. Not only do we need to listen to each other, but we need to listen to God. And I love, Moses just models something beautifully when we are in moments of not, not sure how to respond to this situation. He doesn't just say what he thinks is best. He takes it straight to God. We need to move to the place of silence. We need to move to the place of listening to God to navigate some of these moral challenges. Secondly, women were ready to work with men. This wasn't just a story about feminism at all costs, but the women were ready to work with men. The New Testament, again, makes uh, much clearer on on equality and moves towards that. There's a huge emphasis there. We just need to read Ephesians, Galatians, all sorts of the letters to see Paul writing just very clearly on equality. And obviously Jesus is modeling it in the gospel. But the women were ready to work with them and they were ready to accept uh, initial limitations for long-term gain. And there's something here, not just about uh, women, but about God's family working together. It's about partnership. 
it's about being willing to walk slowly together to do the deep and necessary work of binding us together in love about true unity. It's about accepting some short-term limitations for long-term gain. And that's a challenge for us women, that actually as we seek complete equality, as we seek for a blossoming of the family of God, to be patient and to be gentle and to be um, steadfast and to keep uh, treading untrodden ground, but to do so with a spirit of grace towards each other, trusting in ultimately God's provision and God's plan. And thirdly, really the ultimate issue in this situation was, do the people of God follow the patriarchal rules that have gone before, or do they look to equal distribution? And the women's request makes things uncomfortable. Uncomfortable for Moses and uncomfortable for the people. It meant that, um, that the tribe didn't have their portion split between nine clans, but between ten. It meant that people had to shuffle around. It meant that some people lost out because other people gained. The thing is about equality is that it's uncomfortable for everyone, but it is the call. It costs, but it's the call on the church and on those of us who trust in God. And that is the key, is that we trust in God's mercy to give us what we need, that we don't have to seek for ourselves. But ultimately, God is the one who provides God. It's God's mercy that we can look to. That when we're struggling to accommodate, as I'm sure the various tribes did, who had to lose some of their land because these women gained, we can trust God's mercy and God's provision to give us what we need.